Well, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to talk over my head tonight a little bit, all right? Uh, that's, that's, uh, that scares you, right? And the reason I'm talking over my head is that you know, the title of the message that I believe the Lord's put in my heart is the center of gravity of our message. So I've been trying to learn about this concept of the center of gravity. Now, you engineer types will understand this. I, I, had, to, I had to go on a search, all right? And it's far over my head to understand the center of gravity. So I just said to a friend, uh, who is an engineer type, I said, uh, would you kind of help me to understand this center of gravity concept? Because I'm really going to use it as a metaphor, which is going to simplify it. But I said to him, I said, would, uh, I said, you know, I've eaten a lot of apple pie in my life and a few hamburgers. Would this kind of be the center of gravity right here <laughs> on, my, on my, he looked at me and he said, uh, probably not. He said, Bob, that just means you're on the level because your bubble's in the middle. And uh, <laughs> I said, that wasn't what answer I was looking for. You know. But I, uh, while I may not understand all of the, the nuances of center of gravity, I, I want to use that phrase tonight to, to simply use it as, as a metaphor or a picture, which it's going to mean pivotal are, are something that's very central. Okay, those are the two words I was when used as a metaphor. The center of gravity means something that's pivotal or it's a central idea. There are certain things that come along that literally change everything. We'd call them pivotal moments. 9-11, pivotal moment, right? Everybody here knows where you were if you were alive on 9-11. I was on an airplane halfway across the ocean and they turned us back. Now, everything has changed since 9-11. I am uh, holding my phone here, hand a, a phone, an iPhone. Changed everything. Changed everything. And, uh, and we, uh, so we talk about pivotal moments. Incidentally, if you have an iPhone and you have it with you tonight, obviously they always ask you to turn it off. But I was at a place, and I love what they said. They said, why don't you, if you're on Twitter, why don't you, as you're listening to the message or whatever, wherever you happen to be, then you hear a line that you like, then you tweet it. That's the modern day way of saying amen. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I mean, that's cool. That, that is really cool. So I was at a conference in Iowa, and, uh, and there were three of us speaking, and there, you know, all, all conference long, people were putting stuff out, and they were sharing it with their friends what was happening. So it's a neat way for you to let your friends know you were in church on Saturday night, uh, or Sunday morning, or whatever you happen to be here. So we're going to We're going to talk about something that's very pivotal, something that is central to our message. It is, it's so easy for, for the church to get distracted. And, and we talk about a lot of things that, that may not be pivotal or central. What I believe is that you've come here, you didn't come here to hear political speech tonight. You didn't come here to hear me talk about a, a book review. You, you came here tonight because the sign outside says Coastline Community Church. And because you've either been coming here or because someone invited you tonight, and maybe you're a guest, you said, if you go there, you will hear a message from the Word of God. Now, that's and, and we never stray from that. So I, I want to talk for just a few moments tonight about 
the, the pivotal or the central message. It's, it's not something new, but I think it's just good occasionally for us to be reminded. What's the centerpiece of everything that we talk about? As a matter of fact, the first law of learning is repetition. So as we repeat things, you notice what Jesus did. He simply repeated things. He said them over and over again. And, and they say that if you want to like the event you're having this week, I bet you've heard about that more than once, right? Because it takes seven times, seven times for people to usually get all the information they need about something. So I'm going to use the book of Acts because an angel came to a couple of people who'd just gotten out of jail. Interesting the kind of people Jesus uses. Very interesting, the people that he chooses to use. So here are his disciples who are in jail, Acts chapter 5. Actually, this is the second time they've been in jail. And hear the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 5. Our text is verse 20, but I'm going to read a couple of verses ahead of that. Verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, there were five different groups in, uh, in Israel. Sadducees were one of the five groups. They, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And the corny joke that goes with it is that's why they were sad, you see. All right. <laughs> they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the, the, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord appeared. He opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. I mean, this story is so fascinating. Go, stand in the temple courts. He said, this is the angel of God speaking to them. Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. Lord, help me in the next few moments to unpack the full message of this new life. In your name I pray. Amen. We don't create the message, we simply discover it. You don't create the message of the gospel. We simply uncover it. I want to suggest, first of all, that that the first central piece, the center of gravity of this message about new life is experiencing divine love. Experiencing divine love. There are a number of words in the New Testament that describe the word love. We, we only have one word for it. But there, there are a variety of words for love, and I'll come back to that in a moment. Because the word that's used for love is is very important if I'm going to understand God's love. The central piece, if you don't walk out of here with anything else tonight, if I can convince you with compelling information that God loves you, God loves you no matter what. As a matter of fact, uh, as I've been reading and studying, I've I've come across this several times. I said, "If, if we can convince people that God really loves them. He really loves us. That's the central message 
of the church. And it comes about through, the, through just the very word love. It is the word agape. It's, um, you, know, you can talk about the kind of friendship love, which is philia. Or you can talk about love for children, which is storge. These are, those are, are Greek words. Or you can talk about romantic love, which is eros. But, but God uses the word agape to describe how he loves us. And it's really hard to get your hands around a definition for that word. And I, uh, I think the best way to describe God's love for us, everybody in this room, is that he loves us as is. As is. I mean, you don't have to do anything more or less for God to love you. He loves us as is. If, if you go and purchase something and it's you know, not quite right, you say, can I just buy it as is? Or the person saying, I'll sell it as is. Have you ever bought anything as is? I hope you didn't pay full price for it. <laughs> I hope you did not pay full price for as is merchandise. But you know what I'm going to say next, right? But God did. But God did. He paid full price. He gave his one and only begotten son to die on a cross, to be buried, and to be raised from the dead for people like you and me, as is. But he paid full price for as is merchandise. You see, when I begin to understand that, when I can get my arms around that, it, it lets me know that just as a little boy in North Florida, a, a little boy whose mom was killed early and dad was, was not around, living with a grandmother, not a whole lot to look forward to in life, but God loved me as is. And he loves you as is. It doesn't matter what your background is. He's, he's the God who comes to love people as is. These disciples had heard him say, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They had watched him as he had spoken to the Samaritan woman that Jews did not associate with. They had watched him as he talked to the woman and caught an adultery and then writes in the sand. This is a God who loves us as is. If you can walk out of here tonight with those two words ringing in your ear, the central peace, the center of gravity is if you can experience divine love tonight in Jesus Christ. And I want to suggest, secondly, that this message of new life is about experiencing divine power. Divine power. There are two words for power in, primarily used in the New Testament. One is, means authority. The other is is dunamis, from which we get dynamite. And, and that's what I'm talking about this evening. We would, both, both of them apply. But, but this new life has moments 
of, of like dynamite, like divine authority. I mean, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, I'd call that a dynamite moment. It, when, when these apostles in, in the third chapter of Acts see this man who's 40 years of age and he's at the, at the temple and, and he says, would you, would you help me? Give me something. They said, we, what we have, we give to you. And he's, he's healed and he starts walking. And they're saying, this is dynamite. This is dynamite. I'm not suggesting that that every single day and everything we do, we're going to see dynamite in action. But I just want you to know that, that we serve a God who has the ability and the power to bring about miracles in people's lives. That's the kind of God we serve. And, and we pray for that. And if you're here tonight and, and you need the divine power of God, it may be in your marriage, you need God's power in some way. Could be you have a physical need. It may be that you're facing a financial challenge is greater than anything you could ever imagine. I don't know what circumstance you may have that, that would require the, the dynamite of God. But I simply want to say to you tonight that the central part of our message is that God has the power to do what he wants to do. And I I would boldly stand and say, bring your needs to him. Bring your needs to him and say, God, here here it is. Here's my life. I I need you, God. Experiencing divine power. And thirdly, the third central piece of this message is experiencing divine compassion. It says Jesus was moved with compassion when he looked out and saw the crowds. He saw the people around him. We serve a God who's compassionate. This is really close to my heart. Because when I I graduated from uh, Bible school and I went to work in New York City, I went to work with David Wilkerson. Those of you who have been around for a bit will recognize that name. He worked among teen gangs and drug addicts. And and I uh, I was just 19 years old. And I took off to New York to work with him. And then I when I graduated from school, I went back and worked with him full-time. So I started my ministry working in New York with, with people that, that needed the love and the power of God, and they needed compassion. So then I went on to school, and I became a pastor in, a, in Richmond, Virginia, and then I became a district superintendent, and I traveled some and did various things, and God has such a, an amazing kind of a view for our lives. Two years ago, this month, I get a call from a church in Richmond. Actually, it's an outreach center. It's kind of like a dream center or a teen challenge. And they said, we've fallen upon some hard times, and we need someone to come and help us. And we understand that you travel around and you help churches. Would you come and help us? So two years ago, I started helping this church, and through a process, our son Rob is now the pastor of the church. And, and here's what we do at this church. As a matter of fact, I have a couple of pictures to show you what, what we do. If, uh, if we want to pull up just the first picture. Here, there it is, Celebration Church. We, we send out on Saturday six buses. Today, they, they send out six buses into neighborhoods in Richmond, Virginia. Some of the poorest neighborhoods, places where people don't have enough food to eat. And we bring those children 
the Celebration Church, and we give them lunch. And then we have a one-hour kind of, we call it a value lesson. We teach them the Bible. Some of them give their lives to Christ, and then we take them back home with, with a lunch that they can take home with them as well. And then those same buses then will go back out in the afternoon. As a matter of fact, while we're here tonight, they're having a 6 o'clock service in Richmond, Virginia, and those buses bring in homeless people. And, and we minister to them along with other people. There will probably be some 600 people or so that they've ministered to today in the Celebration Church. Here's some pictures of things that we do. Look at the bite on the bottom there of that tent. We, in the summer, one Friday a month, we, like, we go into these neighborhoods where we send the buses and we repair bicycles. We have repaired over 600 bicycles this year and gave away, I think it's like 58 new bicycles to kids in neighborhoods, simply expressing the compassion and the love of Jesus. I never dreamed at 73 years of age I would be back in the streets. I never dreamed I'd be back there. But I said, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, I will serve you until the day I die. Because Jesus had a ministry of compassion. You know, sort of the bike repair ministry. Turn, go to the next slide. Show you a couple more things we're doing here. No, this is the next slide, huh? Did you go? That's uh, on the, uh, just, just showing you the kinds of things that we do. I, I can't tell you what it's like to, to see people like Johnny and Eddie. This young, this young lady who was, she was dancing the strip joints in the near area where our church is. God has saved her. Eddie, her husband, was, his dad was the founder of a, one of the motorcycle groups that's a, uh, it's, a, it's pretty well known. His dad was the founder. Eddie has gotten saved, and Eddie and Johnny have both been saved now for about a year. We have recovery homes where we have a home for the men, and they have addiction. They can come and live in this home absolutely free. We charge nothing. We believe God will supply our needs, and it's been wonderful to see how people have just contributed and give us money to help with these recovery homes. We have recovery home for women. And then we have what we call the house of refuge for ladies who've been in abusive situations. It would break your heart to, I mean, the FBI was at our place this past week because they were investigating a case of, there's a lady at our home who's had some pretty tough things happen to her. And, and we simply say to people, we serve a God who's a God of compassion. A God of compassion. When I was in Israel the last time, which was this past March, I realized that for the first three years of, of Jesus' ministry, he, it was all around Galilee gathering the, the kind of people that, that were the outcast and, the, and folks that nobody wanted to have a lot to do with. Jesus gathered them into a movement. And then they go down to Jerusalem where he faces the aristocracy and they crucify him. But he died as a God of compassion for people like you and me, the as-is kind of people of life. And I want to simply say to you, this church, one of the reasons I love being here is this church represents that kind of compassion. What you do and the heart that you have and, and all that you're about. If you're here this evening, it doesn't matter what your past has been like. It doesn't matter if you've been addicted or, or you're even currently struggling. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with tonight. The central part of our message is that we serve a God 
who's compassionate and caring and loving, and he wants to reach you and help you and make a difference in your life. That's the message of the gospel. That's what we proclaim. Compassion, divine compassion. And finally, we want to experience divine hope. I'm sorry, let me go back. I missed one point. I can't miss this. Go back to just a, I want the, the I saw. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. You can do that when you're 73. You forget things occasionally, you know. <laughs> Tony Bennett, who's the coach at UVA, was speaking in Richmond, and he said, before every game, every basketball game at UVA, he puts these, these letters up on the blackboard. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, where it says, everybody runs in a race, but only one gets the prize. He says, the scripture says, run in such a way, that's what ISAW stands for, in such a way that you'll get the prize. I want to suggest tonight that in such a way is going with compassion and a heart for people, reaching out and touching the world, the needs of the world. Run in such a way that we get the prize. When we're reaching people that Jesus died for and cared for. Now let me go to point four. Experiencing divine hope. Experiencing divine hope. In Acts chapter 3, it says that he will, someday Jesus is coming back again. He was here the first time, but it says he's coming back again. And so these early apostles... They simply told people, said, hey, he was here, and he died, and he rose again, and he ascended, and, and he sent the Holy Spirit. That changed everything, and he said he's coming back again. So, so they began to anticipate, and this became the hope that they lived with. And we've been living in this hope now for all of these years, and I know it's been a long time since Jesus left. And I know people sort of forget the thought, well, well, is he really coming back someday? I don't know when Jesus is coming, but I live with the hope. I live with the hope that my, my citizenship, while I'm a U.S. citizen, my real citizenship is a place called heaven. Amen. And the Bible says that in Philippians, that my citizenship is in heaven. So I live with the hope that someday... I'm going home. Someday I'm going home. This world is not my home. I've been around the sun 73 times. This month it'll be 74, October 14th. 74 times I will have been around the sun. But I'm not home yet. I'm not home yet. We have a man in Richmond. uh, I won't say his name because I just not appropriate to talk about his name, but he's He's a pretty well-known person there. And uh, he wasn't a person of faith. He started coming to Celebration Church some, and I've been to see him. He, got, he had cancer in the last couple of years. I've been to see him a couple of times, and a, and a man in our congregation knows him very well. They're really good buddies. I went to see him one day, and I said, uh, you know, I'd just like to talk with you. Uh, what, if, what if something happened, and you know, maybe they don't find a cure for your cancer, and and you end up dying, or are you really ready to meet the Lord? And 
He said, well, I don't know. I've done a lot of good things. And so we had, you know, we had a good conversation. And I said, uh, let me see if I can put it this way. You know, if I'm, uh, I'm going to go fly on an airplane or I'm going on a train, I, I can say to them, hey, I've done a lot of good things. I'd like to get on the train. Or I've, uh, I've, I've helped a lot of people. I'd like to get on the plane. They said, those are good things, but you've got to have a ticket. You've got to have a ticket, right? I said, you've got to have a ticket. You've got to have a ticket to, to go to heaven. And I explained to him how Jesus died, and we just had a good conversation. Well, I just, I learned that last Saturday, a, a man who knows him very well went to see this person, and he, he had the opportunity to lead this man to Jesus. Last Saturday, now catch this time frame. Last Saturday, I'm talking about one week ago. This man goes in the hospital this past week. Yesterday, the doctor comes in and they are going to dismiss him from the hospital. He'd written up the orders and he says, you're, you know, you're, you're not real well. You're, you're a sick man, but, and, uh, but, but I'm going to let you go home. And the doctor leaves. And then this man turns to his wife and he says, you know what? I'm really going home. And he keeled over. Dead. He went home. He really went home. He really went home. He had a hope. And only had it for one week. But he, he lived this past week with a sense of hope. Let's not give up with our hope. Let's Let's not give up because Jesus is the center of our message and he's the one who gives us hope. I want to close by telling you this. There's a lady named Florence Chadwick. On the 4th of July, 1952, she tried to swim from the Catalina Island to the coast of California and after 15 hours of swimming in that water, she gave up because it was foggy and she couldn't see and they, she said, get me out of the water. She was only one hour or one mile from shore. And she was heartsick. Two months later, she went back and, and swam the entire piece. She made it because the fog had cleared up and she could see. I want to say, don't let the fog of all the stuff around us today that, that you see and say, it's just such a mess. Don't let the fog... Keep us from seeing the shore, our home. Our central message is, I experience divine love. I experience divine power. I experience divine compassion. And I experience divine hope. That, that is the center of gravity of the message of the church, which comes from the Bible. In Jesus' name, and the Bible says... All those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you pray with me, please? With your heads bowed and uh, just sort of thinking about this, this centerpiece of what God does for us. We're going to take communion in just a few moments. And, and when we enter into communion, it's our way of expressing our trust and faith in the Lord that he died for us and that he is coming back again. You may be here tonight and 
as you know, in this church, it's, this is not the place where we ever try to people, put people on the spot or embarrass them. We don't, we don't try to do anything but, but help you connect with God. If you're here tonight and somehow you need to connect with God, you've never said, I want to place my faith in Jesus Christ. I confess with my mouth that, yes, he died for me. He was raised from the dead, and, and my hope is in him. Or if you've done that sometime in the past, and you just kind of have not paid attention to it, you've neglected the seed that's been in your life. But tonight, just before we take communion, you want to say, I, I just want to reaffirm my faith in Jesus, or I want to, I want to do it for the first time. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be saved. If you need to do that right where you're seated, I want to say a prayer with you. But I'd like to know who you are, and I ask the, the folks in the room just to give you a moment of privacy. And, uh, would you just right now on the count of three, lift your hand right where you are, put it down. I'm going to pray for you. One, two, three. Just lift your head if you'd like prayer tonight all over the room. I just want to pray for you. In Jesus' name, you need to experience divine love, divine power, divine hope. In Jesus' name. Lord, I believe there are people in this room that right this moment want to experience that. I pray just now, oh God, that you would come to them. Would you say this kind of prayer with me? Say, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I believe you were raised from the dead. And I experience your divine love now. And I receive communion tonight, knowing that Jesus is the center of my life, and I thank you for it. Amen and amen. Pastor Steve is going to come.